Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 97 Knox, Nori, and the Dragon Star. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Katie DiMatteis and Ben Martin Mooney's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, still the best unofficial, big capital underscore letters, unofficial Dungeons & Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. Before I introduce my mystery contestants today, I'd like to go ahead and give a shout out to our first sponsor, which just happens to be Plus One EXP. You've heard me talk about Tony Vicinda and his amazing mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He's got it all. He's got all of the beard balms named after all the basic stats from D&D. So you can get a can delivered to your door, apply it to your face, and smell the sweet aroma and that sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Uh, the whole game that launched this whole enterprise, Beards and Beyond, is the indie RPG that's just taking the hair nation by storm. So if you are interested in this game, you should know that he's developed other games, including Repugnant, I Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brand Standing, to name a few. If you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something from their website or going to tonyplus1.itch.io, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So I'd highly encourage you follow Tony and Plus One EXP on all those socials, Twitters, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and the Discord server, if you haven't jumped on that, in order to keep up with all the various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these other amazing indie TTRPGs. So if you don't mind, when you go to plus1exp.com, use that affiliate code box to type in the special secret word, Randolph, when you're buying a beard bomb or a beard RPG, in order to get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you. Again, that code is Randolph. R-A-N-D-O-L-P-H at checkout on the website, plus1exp.com. All right, without further ado, hello, Double Trouble Mystery Contestants today. Would you care to introduce yourself, tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do? Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, I'm Katie DiMatteis. I'm Ben Martin Mooney. And we, oh gosh, we do a lot of things, but I think primarily... Uh, we have a Twitch channel called Amateurish Productions, where we do TTRPG live streams, interviews, uh, sometimes we play games, 
sometimes I don't know. It's kind of kind of a variety channel with a focus in TTRPGs. It's I would a mixed say bag. That's, a, that's the best way to to quantify it. Qualify it. Qualify it. Yeah, and if I understand, it's a brand new stream, and uh, you guys were getting up and running just as all of this controversy in the hobby was beginning. And so, if I'm understanding, are you guys? going to stay the course with the original plan of the original system you were using or are you in the middle of uh, converting your stream into a different underlying TTRPG mechanic? Yeah, we are making the the switch. So we started with 5th edition and are in the process of transitioning sort of piece by piece towards Pathfinder. Second however, mm -hmm. however, that does not mean that we don't also play D&D on the channel. Yes. This is our, our main Tuesday night campaign that we are transitioning into Pathfinder. Uh -huh. But we have had and will continue to have uh, one shots, even multi shots. The way that we are structuring things on the channel is that everything probably starting this summer that happens will happen in the same world. Um, but we don't want to confine that world to a specific system. So we will be playing 5e, we'll be playing 2e, we will probably play some indie game systems, probably play some PBTA, um, and just try to figure out how to build a world without, essentially how to build a world that's system agnostic. And it's Ben, that's the game master, I suppose, kind of the mastermind behind the For world. now. <laughs> Uh, to say that I am the mastermind behind the world does me an immense amount of credit that I do not deserve. Uh, it is fully a trio. Uh, so Katie and I and our friend Zeki, who have all worked as a unholy trinity of uh, world development, fully 66% of the credit deserves their names attached to it. Oh, of course. Yeah, certainly. I would echo the same sentiment with how it works with my homebrew. Certainly major contributions for my wife and Previous guests of the show, Catherine, and I have been impressed uh, with the world building that we did in our campaign between uh, all three of us, and especially all my other players as well, with their contributions. It's uh, certainly the best when maybe the game master can offload some of that creativity and the world building pressures off of their shoulders and just be like, is there something interesting in your backstory that I should know or like something that you think would be cool? And it's like, great, now I have an idea I didn't have to think of myself. It's the best feeling in the world. You're like, thank you for doing my job for me and doing it better than I ever could have. <laughs> and also, uh, when we have guests, GMs and DMs come on starting soonish, we're going to be allowing them to build in the world as well. Yeah. So it's going to be very much a group effort to flush out Mitra, to flush out Mitra, which I'm very excited about personally. We uh, even chat has are like uh, the members of the community who who have hung out and watched have actually made contributions, whether it's occasionally suggesting names for characters, or most recently canonically the Jersey Shore exists in the world of Mitra, although it's spelled a little bit differently and with that's... a D and a Z or something in there. There's some accents over the E's, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and so we should know that there's like a Tuesday night main campaign, but then there's also other activities that are happening. I think there was like something with Legos and something with cooking or something like that. Yes, <laughs> that is one of the not not TTRPG related, but more of a, a variety stream. Uh, we have a friend who's a professional chef. It's also a huge nerd. Um, and we've been setting up in his kitchen. He has been teaching just general cooking skills, making meals that are inspired by different D&D classes. Mm. Uh, so we've done Monk and Warlock. And this weekend, actually, we are doing Fighter and Wizard. Don't quote me on that. Fighter for sure. Wizard 
question mark. And that's super fun for me because the boys are in the kitchen cooking and I am just chilling, building Legos while they do that. And then I get to eat food. Ah, the win-win situation. It's great. Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think it's a dead giveaway, but this next question, do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before? (laughs) Yes. I, I have been known to meddle with a Dungeon and a Dragon on occasion, yes. Nice. D&D was my first TTRPG and still is my first love, despite anything else that may or may not happen in the industry. Is fifth edition like the first system? No, actually. I have a weird intro to TTRPGs, which is, you know, I grew up doing acting and doing improv and was a huge nerd my whole life and did all the generic nerd fantasy things and loved all the books and this, that, and the other thing. And then I actually listen to the adventure zone which is the McElroy podcast Mm -hmm. and I was like what is this really cool storytelling system that they are using which D&D fifth edition um and that was actually what Ben and I bonded over on our first date Mm -hmm. and then Ben was like hey like you like D&D so much but you've never played it before so let me DM your first campaign for you and the rest is somewhat history (laughs) Uh, and I also actually found D&D relatively late in life. Um, so I've only been playing for, see, I think I started playing when I was 25. So like six-ish years and DMing for only about a year less than that. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, I could I could totally see myself doing all these additional things. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I am also relatively new to it. The Hobbit was my favorite book, period, growing up. You know, like this is sort of, my whole life really culminated in me finding this thing and being like, oh, cool, I get to like, buy rocks that have numbers on them and spend time with my friends in a fantasy setting sure sign me up how do i do this forever i was late to the game too i came in college but back in my day it was fourth edition when i started playing so i have that fourth edition cred which i know other people out there are like oh fourth edition too video gamey but I don't know. It was a good introduction point. So then when fifth edition rolled around, I was like, oh, okay. So this is kind of like fourth edition, but it's like old school. So it's like, okay, I kind of like this. So I've latched on to fifth edition. It's been a great time. There are aspects of fourth edition I miss. Certainly watching MCDM productions doing the Dusk campaign exclusively on fantasy grounds on fourth edition mechanics has been a joy being like, oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. Plus two and getting flanking advantage and moving squares and activating daily powers and all that stuff it's like yeah i, I remember all that stuff so it was crunchy a good yeah crunchy munchy for sure <laughs> well the giveaway of this podcast being called sidekicks and side quests is that we get to ask questions about your favorite sidekicks and favorite side quests so first of those who's been your favorite npc or sidekick character whether they've been from an rpg maybe a video game or if not film television history literature etc and why is this character your favorite do you want to go first then I was going to ask you if you wanted to, but I, I have I have mine locked and loaded. Go for it. All right. We did some homework, so I came prepared. Yeah, we, this is true. Ben and I did sit up late one night going, all right, let's name sidekicks <laughs> and let's pick which ones are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this might be a, a bit controversial to call this particular character a sidekick, but Pam from Archer is my favorite sidekick, quote mm. unquote. Okay, I could understand the controversy. I mean, I don't know if I'm caught up on the latest seasons of Archer, I but am not I mean, either. yeah, but I know, yeah, she had her start as a sidekick, kind of moved up into like the main rotation mm-hmm. past. And then like when, I don't know, has she gone back down to side character? Or? That's a phenomenal question. I don't know, but I, I, someone loved... will tell us in the comments or something of this episode. Yeah, don't, if you disagree, don't at me. 
unless you're going to be nice about it. Yeah. And if you agree, definitely add me. But yeah, yeah, Pam is great. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I also feel like my answer is not entirely a sidekick because I think this show doesn't really have sidekicks. I feel like everyone is pretty important, but they are not the main character. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to go with Little Cotto from Final Space because that show is so wonderful. And Little Cotto specifically, just like the character growth and the journey that he goes on as one of the members of this space team. And I like, I, I guess Gary would be considered the protagonist Arguably, again, everything is arguable. Yeah, I, I just, I love Avocado. I also love Avocado, who might be maybe more of a sidekick because, well, I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't watched it, but. I, I don't know what this property is, if you oh, wanted to enlighten no. me. Oh, no. Oh, it's so good. Oh, okay. It's also ben. being completely removed from the internet. Oh, yeah. I see. It's one of those ones that got canceled and is being just like erased from history and it is a travesty. It's a, a cartoon that is very much not geared towards kids and it is funny but also incredibly poignant and incredibly heartwarming and explores really deep gut-wrenching emotions while also bringing levity in in ways that I genuinely did not think possible. I am genuinely heartbroken that they are not going to have any more seasons because they their three seasons they ended the third one on a pretty huge cliffhanger mm. and i'm never gonna get to know what happened and i'm it's like the same thing with farscape wrong. farscape kind of ended on a major cliffhanger and then i guess sci-fi channel did like a movie to kind of tie up the loose end but that's hard to watch or find or something it's like a uh, firefly you know firefly oh, yeah. was short-lived on oh, fox before they were lucky you know to get serenity the movie so yeah, yeah. well before this... we delve too deeply in the swamps <laughs> of sorrow what's been one of your favorite side quests either from an rpg video game movie film television literature etc and why is this side quest stuck out to you ben and i argued because we have the same three <laughs> and so we had to divvy up between the two of us who was gonna say what but i am going to go with in world of warcraft actually this current expansion which is dragonflight there is a side quest where i'm not taking your side quest okay. ben I know which one you want. I'm giving it to you. Sure. There is a, a quest where you, there's this little girl who her mother and I think potentially the rest of her family has died recently. Mm. And you are helping her because she really wants to be a hero. And so you go into this cave and you find this monster that really has no interest in fighting. And you have to convince the monster that he should pretend to let the little girl defeat him so that she can like have some amount of joy and feel like she's done some good in the world. And it's really cute. And she hits him once with the stick and he kind of goes, oh and falls over and then you know you have the sweet little moment with the little girl and i was like oh god am i getting teary over a video game what's happening here oh. so that one's mine pretty adorable it was so sweet it's pretty it's pretty great uh and mine is same expansion same game but there is one of the like factions is this like semi-nomadic group of tribes that are, are all interconnected and one of the quest lines is uh, with this dog called Tyven, who is the size of a horse. And essentially, they're, they are trying to figure out like what this dog's purpose is. So, like He has been with us this whole time. He eats an extremely large amount of food, and he has not contributed in some way. And if you know he continues to not contribute, we can't keep him around. So mm -hmm. you take him hunting, and he's terrible at hunting because he's afraid of all the other animals. Then you take him to try to be like a herding dog 
but he is unsuccessful at hurting anything because he's also afraid of those sheep, basically, mm-hmm. and he runs away from them. And then there is an attack, and uh, you are, you know, sent to go, like, find the survivors and whatnot, and the dog, it turns out, is just, like, really good at rescuing people. It's, like, incredibly strong, and so it just, like, lifts the broken buildings off of these people and, like, picks them up and brings them, you know, to safety. And then at the very end, there's a little girl whose, I think, mother or both parents have died. And he just a lot like of parent death, a lot and... of parent death yeah. <laughs> in Dragonfly. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like reading backstories from everyone's D and D characters. Yeah, like, really. all their parents are dead. Uh, and then this like massive dog just like goes and curls up around this like little centaur child. And I think it was like it had been a long day, and I don't think I'd slept particularly well the night before. And like as the dog is like rescuing all these people, and there's sort of the dialogue being overlaid of them being like, oh, you know, he just he just cares a lot. I was like, oh, I'm actively tearing up this is adorable and so like wholesome and sweet so yeah that's my favorite this is just a just a big fluffy just a big fluffy boy we're both crying over parent deaths <laughs> i no, i didn't cry over that i just cried about the dog okay well i can understand <laughs> as a relatively new dog owner later in life it's like oh i understand this fluffy little turd who will you know get into all kinds of mischief and trouble but then like will curl up with you he's chewing on his bone or whatever just you know sleeping snoozing you're just like okay all right it's all worth it yep there you go you've earned it kind of a thing yeah yeah the way that we round out the personal interview section is we ask the question what are you passionate about and why that's easy for me storytelling that has been my biggest passion my entire life it's why i like books and movies and TV, well, good books and movies and TV shows. Uh, I grew up in a household where, I mean, my dad is a, a writer and story was so, so much a part of my childhood and my adolescence. Um, and like, I, I say that I was writing stories before I could actually write because I would dictate stories to my dad and we would workshop them together. And I like exploring real world things through the lens of fiction. And I really, really appreciate a well-crafted, fleshed out world. This is less easy for me to answer, Uh, especially without like kind of copying Katie, although my childhood was not the same in the sense of like storytelling being such a, a formative part of who I was at an early age. I mean, I'm passionate about like a few things. One is food although that's not necessarily terribly helpful at the moment. But the other is, in the context of like tabletop gaming in particular, is, and as a DM as well, is providing people the opportunity and space to sort of explore their own personal experiences or traumas or neurodivergence in a way that is safe because it's not you, even though it, you know, it's like this character is a self-insert and allowing people to to sort of like, explore that and kind of get to know not just their character, but themselves in the process and and creating a space where they feel comfortable doing that and like they will be taken care of in the process. And then also another good answer I would throw in there just because I've learned this from social media from the two of you is that another good thing to be passionate about is your wife is the correct answer as well. Can we splice that in at the beginning and be like, so there's a bunch of things that I'm, and uh, first and foremost is my wife. <clears throat> can we, can we do that? In post? Oh, sure. Yeah. Perfect. Amazing. So. <laughs> I'm really surprised you didn't say people, Ben. I was really expecting you to say that you're passionate about people. That's ben becoming... is a people collector. When we were planning a big wedding, which we've since changed to a much smaller wedding or changed, I guess, past tense. 
His list was like 300 people long and it wasn't even family. It was 220. Give the man credit where credit's due. I apologize for the slander. You know, people, people are important. I, I have become much less of a people person over the course of COVID. And I think it's just because, you know, like you spend so much time away from them and then reintegrating into society mm -hmm. has been kind of weird, but still, still collect people. Yeah. Certainly. I would like to congratulate you on the nuptials. And uh, you. yeah, you know, that's a, it's another big life much. achievement. So, you know, kudos to you. And uh, with that spirit of kudos and gratitude, we're going to move on forward to another segment that I like to call NPC creation. All right. Well, you know, NPC creation is brought to you by you, the podcast audience and our awesome patrons from Patreon. That's right. Now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey, Anson Jablinski, and my parents, we say cheers. So again, this is for patrons who donate $2 or more a month. All of these folks are my highest tier, wealthy level patrons. So that means they get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables, which we might get to use here today. So if you want to learn more and join the cheapest podcast Patreon community out there, Check the show notes below, go to my podcast website, or just go on directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests to find out more info on our three tiers, one, two, four dollars a month, and help us expand our operations at the Levitating Platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond. All right, so obviously the part where we get to make up characters on the show, and I believe preparing and planning for this, y'all opted to randomize a pair of characters. Did you have any ideas as far as like, you know, like maybe this is like the sort of idea we had of a relationship between our characters or when we get to like the ancestry question, is it going to be like you're okay with being wildly different ancestries or you both roll and then it's like, okay, well, whichever one we like, we'll just pick with that one. So we're both the same thing or anything like that. I am down to be different and I'm down for us to be an unusual duo if that's the case. Say no more. And honestly, say no more. I kind of would like to roll them and then figure out yeah. what the relationship yeah. is. I feel like that makes sense. Okay. All right. Very good. That's okay I just with know you. sometimes <laughs> it helps the people with the focus, especially if we have double the guests, where they're like, oh my gosh, how is my character supposed to relate to this other one? So, all right. Well, we will let the dice take us where they will. So, the first question we have to ask ourselves is what is going to be the name of our respective characters? And we determine this by rolling a d20. Cool. I got a four. I got a one. <laughs> four Starting out one. strong. Okay. Well, with a four, Katie, your answer was provided by previous guest, Melly Doucette from Demiplane, Knox, N-O-X. Cool. And then with a one for Ben, your answer was provided by famous critter artist, Lauren Walsh. Oh, yeah. Alanora. So A-L-A-N-O-R-A. -A -A. So Knox and Alanora is what we're working with. And then the next thing we get to roll for is we need to determine what's the ancestry of our character. And we will determine this by rolling 2d10s for a d100 effect. Okay. I got 100. 100. I got 100. Okay. Your answer is Yeti. Oh, okay. okay. I got an 11. 11. It's a lot of ones in my, my, in my night. And a Lamia. How do you spell that? L-A-M-I-A. I think those are like the oh, Sphinx yeah. centaur demon creatures, if I remember my yes. lore. So yeah, yeah Yeti yeah. and Alamia. 
dynamic duo. Well, moving on then, we need to figure out what's the job or role in society for Knox and Alanora. We'll determine this by rolling just a regular d10. Okay, where's my d10? Which one of you is going to not mess me up the most? Six. Okay, six was suggested by previous guest Bobby Angel, deep sea archaeologist, a yeti that's a deep sea archaeologist. Okay. And I got a nine. A nine. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So your answer was provided by previous guest Katie Ruvalcaba, apothecary. So apparently Eleanor the Lamia runs an apothecary, and then Knox is a deep sea archaeologist. I love it. Love that big furry yeti just scuba diving down into the ocean. And then uh, let's see. The next thing we get to roll for before we take a pause on the dice rolling is what is the age range category of our characters will determine this with a d8 oh come on really you get a one i did <laughs> okay well a one is a child age lamia that's somehow running an apothecary what did nox get two teenager okay so are we okay with these responses or did you want to change <laughs> I them? think it's great i think I'm, it's hilarious i'm rolling with this precocious little lamia named eleonora who runs an apothecary okay well, listen Knox can be doing an internship. You don't know. So now comes to the question of describe your physical appearance. So with these details in mind for each of your characters, when you think of these traits that we've learned, how do you picture the character? Oh, I already can see it. <laughs> so uh, I guess, what's the average Yeti height? Like seven feet? Does that feel right? I'm going with seven feet. I could be totally wrong. But yeah, no, Knox stands about seven feet tall really long shaggy white hair with some like purple highlights in it she's got a septum piercing as well as a nose ring she's got lots of like bengal bracelets on a black crop top and skinny jeans uh, although obviously when she is going deep sea scuba diving to do archaeology she's gonna wear a wetsuit um and yeah, she's she's got a little bit of an attitude, um, but, you know, she's really passionate about the ocean. What can you do? Interesting. So Knox does decide to wear, like, actual clothing, even though uh, oh, for sure. she's sufficiently covered in enough thick white fur to be able to withstand <laughs> Arctic tundra-like conditions. Listen, listen. Being a fashion icon is hard, okay? Sometimes it's not comfortable, but you make the choices to look your best. Oh, okay. Well, interesting fact I did learn from the Forgotten Realms wiki page. Apparently, in the winter time, their fur is white, but then in the summer, it somehow turns brown. So, oh. hmm. and they do stand eight feet tall, so seven feet's probably about on par with the teenager. I'd just like to point out, it is a heck of a decision to wear a black crop top when you are just a white shaggy beast that yeah, is yeah. That's, that's a correct. strong stance that is a Again, very strong fashion stance. icon she is pushing boundaries okay she looks like a gray shirt <laughs> <laughs> and then as far as alanora is concerned when you picture this lamia child lamia running an apothecary what do you see i fully have this mental image of i'm blanking on what the kind of cat is that it's like the short-haired cats that are like supposedly from egypt and are like very delicate or like, oh, I guess like, oh, they have hair. It's not fur. They're hypoallergenic. And I, I don't terribly love cats. So I don't know what they're called. Sorry, cat fans. So it's like a sphinx or a or, yeah. a, or a hairless Egyptian or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds absolutely right. Couldn't tell you. 
And then I think it's just this like, it is a, I mean, it's the body of a, a smallish child wearing uh, an apron that I think because uh, she is so small, I think that she has to use her like front legs to like sort of perch on the counter. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, she has an apron that goes, you know, around her neck, like a normal apron does, but then also around her front paws and ties mm-hmm. sort of like in the middle of her cat torso. Mm. Um, and she's wearing, you know, she's wearing, uh, she runs an apothecary. She's wearing things that are um, hydrophobic. So she's wearing some like waxed leather, uh, sort of like a, a light waxed leather shirt with like, you know, something cotton underneath. I don't think she wears any clothing necessarily on her on her lower half. The yeah. classic centaur problem of like, if a centaur <laughs> wore pants, how yeah. exactly would the pants work? Yeah, I wasn't trying to tackle that on, on this episode. Good, but where do you wear the skirt? Do I wear it around my human waist or do I wear it around my cat waist? Oh. Right? Mm. That's a fair point. All right, no pants. <laughs> Pantsless. And then uh, let's see, if you had to describe each of your characters with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use? Mm. I want to get all three of them before I say anything. Sassy, dramatic, and passionate. And I think I'm going quiet meticulous and mischievous because she is part cat after all yeah i think the the temptation to knock things off her own countertop is strong (laughs) interesting Mm. and so with alanora with her working in this apothecary child age range is someone else really in charge of the shop and she just happens to work there Fully. I think her parents own it. She just is very much under the impression as a child that it is her shop. Mm. So she she believes in her heart of hearts that she owns this. So with Knox, how does a Yeti end up getting into deep sea archaeology? Last I knew, the deep seas were not connected to the Himalayas kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, I think when she was little, she read a lot of books about the ocean. She was, that was like her special interest as a kid. And, you know, she was applying to internships in other places in the world to see if she couldn't get out and travel and maybe learn about places that are a little bit less landlocked. And she got super lucky. She got great, great internship offer for the summer. Her parents were a little bit stressed out about, you know, letting her go be on her own. But so far, it's been great. She's made a lot of friends. She's probably been making some not great decisions because, you know, she's a teenager on her own for the first time. But all in all, great life experience. So now that we kind of know and understand at least some of the basics about Knox and Alanora, how do these characters know each other? Because obviously a Yeti and a Lamia wouldn't on the surface necessarily relate to each other, but surely there's some kind of fascinating story here. Yeah, I was thinking that Knox might frequent that apothecary and just likes to kind of hang out when she doesn't have anything else to do. Maybe has taken sort of a maternal big sister approach to nori i'm gonna call you nori that's that's your name now that absolutely bothers her (laughs) right little kid insistent like no my name is alan nora and then teenager being like yeah whatever nori nori i also figured maybe uh water breathing potions yeah as as like a backup well i i imagine that's probably i mean i said scuba diving but this is magic, right? So I yeah. they probably that's a, a core part of the scuba kit is water breathing potions. We, sure. The my uh, my family is the premier supplier of water breathing potions in the area. 
Now, remind me again, Forgotten Realms Wiki, what does the stated lore say about Lamias? And then how are we going to be creative and maybe change some things, uh, you know, because we can. That's the hobby. That's what we do. So according to Hoyle, it says, sinister creatures who lived in desert ruins sustain themselves by eating human flesh. Oh, God. Uh, mm. Use a variety of abilities, including seduction, disguise, ventriloquism, illusions, mirages, mirror images, and other such things to lure, entice, and confuse those who wandered into their midst into dangerous situations. So, I mean, I was thinking like, okay, desert, okay, like a desert port town, and then maybe that's where all the deep sea archaeology stuff is going yeah. on, and that's how they would meet up, but... It'd be kind of interesting because, you know, if we're imagining these Lamias have this reputation in this aura of intrigue and fear and all that kind of stuff, then how do a pair of Lamias, I guess, start a family and then integrate into society to then start an apothecary shop? Like what made them decide, you know what, living in ruins and trying to get people to eat them is just not working for us anymore. You know, it just it's it's it just feels like you know the the story is just so played out, and I think I think that some some old habits die hard, and I think that they have used their influence, shall we say, to secure a chokehold on the market. Uh, mm-hmm. So I do think that my parents have a uh, have a monopoly on the sort of apothecary market here in this city. There are no others. They have uh, done away with. We'll say the competition. Hmm. Oh, okay. And mm. then, of course, Knox maybe isn't the wiser. You know, being a teenager, maybe not being like, I wonder why there isn't another apothecary in this desert port town. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. Knox has never been to a desert port town before. For all mm. she knows, there's only one apothecary ever. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the little mountain villages, you know, they only yeah. had one shop that did the one thing, and that's it. Like, why would a larger city need more of than just one? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Totally okay. checks out. No questions asked. Okay. So we know that this apothecary business is uh, very critical for Knox and her deep sea archaeological efforts. And so that's why she's always there and visiting Alanora. Is she doing a lot of the transactions with Alanora or the parents? Or this yeah. is just like the budding sister ish sort of relationship? I think that since Knox has an internship that like one of her duties as part of that internship is to pick up the water breathing potions every morning. Mm -hmm. So she's probably at the apothecary at least five days a week, unless she's, you know, they're going scuba diving more days than that, in which case it's seven days a week potentially. So Mm -hmm. probably just kind of evolved organically of her seeing Nori every morning. Mm. It's, It's Eleonora. (laughs) it's nori (laughs) it's alanora Uh, i think i run the front of house for my parents because people have a harder time seeing a small child as potentially a pretty significant villain and i think my parents are smart enough to know that and they're like yeah yeah, you run front of house people love a child Mm -hmm. uh and it's it's good for business and it keeps them out of the public eye interesting yeah okay I don't well, know that my parents are the best people. I think is really what I'm landing on here. Like, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. but they're but, but, exploiting their small child. That's mm. what's happening here. Although interesting, let's see. I'm just again reading more, just glancing. Lamian nobles were also capable of venturing further from their lairs than other Lamias and preferred to go into urbanized areas in the guise of a human to infiltrate human and demi-human societies. Mm. So. There is at least some um, plausibility that maybe if they're not appearing as natural Lamias, it could be that like 
oh, you know, we're in our humanoid disguises for this environment, this area. So that way we seamlessly blend in kind of a thing. Hmm. Do you think that is something that uh, Eleanor and her parents are doing, that they're disguising themselves? And so Knox doesn't actually know that they're flesh and blood Lamias? That is an interesting... It does set us up for some potential conflict later on, doesn't it? Ooh, yeah, you know what? I I know that I describe her as sort of like having uh, an apron that ties around both like her human waist and cat waist. But Mm -hmm. I do think... I do think it makes for a little bit juicier of a, a story if uh, Knox doesn't know that I'm not actually human. So yeah, I'm absolutely down with that. Katie looks very betrayed. I feel <laughs> such deep hurt in the pits of my soul, but that's fine. Explains like the cutthroat business nature of the parents then because they're using their Lamia abilities. They're disguised as humanoids. They're going in and taking out the competition, you know, making shady back alley deals and pressing advantages and blackmail and whatever else to secure their foothold in this community. Meanwhile, oh, okay, we taught our our child, our daughter to be able to disguise herself. You just run this apothecary. That's your job. That's what you do. Yeah. And of course, with NPCs on our show, we like them to be able to have a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or maybe even an ideal or concept that the character ascribes to. So to randomly generate these kinds of things, we roll a D4 first for the category, and then we roll a D6 to determine the particular thing. A four. Also four. Okay, so both of these are ideals or concepts that each of the characters ascribe to. So now you could roll a D6. D6. Six. Okay. Your ideal or concept was submitted by Dr. Alex Schulte of the A Couple of Characters podcast, Mathematics. So Knox is really into mathematics. I mean, it makes sense with her passion for science. She's probably very interested in calculations and readings under the water and understanding what data she can extrapolate and turn into potentially new information about the goings on under the ocean. I'm totally on board. I got a two. All right. Interesting. Your suggestion was given to us by previous guest, Patrick Kolb, astronomy. Alanora really cares about astronomy. Yeah. So I'm stuck here in this apothecary, but what I really want to do is just live amongst the stars. Mm. Hmm. Something that maybe before you came to the city, I don't know, in the ruins or whatever, you looked up in the night sky of the desert, you just saw the stars and whatever else. I do, you know, I wonder if, if my childhood wasn't filled with uh, stories about how, like, my, my you know, like, grandparents and great-grandparents and, uh, you know, sort of, like, all of my ancestors are up in those stars. And I think that that sort mm. of triggered her initial interest in it. Uh, and she has since found herself just, you know, like, on many occasions, just staring up into the stars without any concept of how much time has passed. Does she have, like, a, a telescope or anything that she has in, like, her little room? For sure she has a telescope. Just charts of of the different star of you know different constellations and how they've moved across the sky, just tacked up on all of her walls. Does that factor into any of the apothecary work? Like I don't know, like you know, if she claims like, oh, because the stars are in this position, when I made this potion, it should give you an extra boost of this kind of a thing. If hmm. she believes in, the, well, I mean, she does believe in that because she believes she in astronomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think I think it's probably a combination of that. And also, I think that all of the like labels for things have like constellations on them. I think that, that she is like taking it upon herself to uh, add artwork to all of the labels. And so there's mm. little drawings of various constellations. And I think that there's, there are themes, you know, like if it's a healing potion, there's sort of like these themes of maybe you have like a specific constellation that's on all of them but you know you know highlighting a different star if it was made at a specific point in the star cycle i know a lot about astronomy definitely (laughs) yeah i mean this is definitely going to factor into your campaign now you're going to have to know all about your game universe's astrophysics help me Very cool. Yeah, I kind of like that idea of like, you know, this kid who's running the apothecary because, you know, she's the face of the business. The parents taught her how to do all the basics to be able to make all the stuff. So kind of almost seems like a Matilda-esque sort of situation where she's left her own devices and she literally has to run this business in the day-to-day operations while the parents are really doing all the cutthroat business stuff behind the scenes. And then they don't care maybe necessarily about the labels. But it's like, hey, their stuff sells well, people like her, and the business is doing well, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm just curious if Knox picks up on the uh, astronomy theme as far oh, as the... Oh, uh... for sure. Absolutely. I think <laughs> just the intersection of math and science and astronomy, not, not that she knows a ton about it, but she probably, you know, checks, you know, what little constellations are on the bottles that day and chats with uh, Nori about it in the, okay. the morning. I was going to say, probably really interesting between the two different characters. I mean, Knox with the mathematical sort of background and then Eleanor with the astronomy background and comparing notes, maybe where they grew up and, you know, looking up in the night sky from their different vantage points. Because obviously the stars are going to look different from desert ruins compared to the snowy peaks of the mountains and stuff like that above the skyline, the thick cloud cover or whatever. Yeah, I think there's probably been some interesting conversations about like, hold on, that looks wrong. I think I think you need to fix that. And Nora being like, uh, that is not wrong. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think I think that I know stars better than you do. You spend all of your time underwater. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> we like to give all of our NPCs made on this podcast a side quest. So this could be side quests that each character is willing to offer a group of player characters should they stumble across them. Or maybe it's one that they're going to offer together, whether you decide to roll that randomly or collaborate on that now, here and now, based on what we've learned. If you want to roll for it randomly, the last dice to roll is a d12. I feel like they're both offering something separate. I think so too. Do you want to okay. roll then or do you want to make oh, one up? I, hey, I have been committed to the rolls this entire time right. and I'm not stopping now. I'll commit as well. Okay. I got a 12. That is the maximum amount on the last three that I have rolled in a row. I'm feeling... Pretty special right now. Okay. Well, your side quest suggestion was provided by previous guest Matthew J. Hansen of Sneak Attack Press. Slay a dragon. So <laughs> literally, Knox needs you to slay a dragon. <laughs> Is this like a water dragon? That's I maybe... was going to say, I think it's sort of like that prehistoric dinosaurs are really just underwater creatures thing where there's mm. absolutely a, an underwater sort of sea serpent uh, that is... I'm sure the Fizzbend's Treasury of Dragons has some kind of like water ocean dragon or Cobalt Press or someone has like a water dragon that you could get. So Nox is trying to get into these ruins, but there's literally a dragon that's preventing her team from going in and studying. Yeah, and I think that she is really stressed out because 
she just wants this internship to go really well and they're supposed to go diving the next day and if the dragon's still there the next day they're not going to be able to so she's uh she's enlisting some help to clear it all out before things go belly up with her new job and then what did Eleanor roll well in keeping with my theme this evening i rolled a pair of ones so i got an 11 on my on my d12 here i just i cannot get away from ones this evening all right well your answer was provided by previous guest shannon robichaud collect a valuable material to bring back so this sounds more like a generic properly inline fetch quest for the apothecary so what is it that uh alanora needs brought back do you think human flesh oh god i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) what you gotta get dinner come on man what what kind of uh Ooh, you know what in keeping with with her theme i think that she has probably been tracking a recent meteorite uh she like you know like saw it come through and kind of like was able to figure out probably with help from Knox, do some some of the math around like trajectory etc and where mm-hmm. approximately it would have fallen and uh i think that uh it's the the whatever is left of the meteorite she would like people to go find and it's probably in the ocean or the, Without the sea a doubt in ah, Sydney ocean, that's why yeah that's sure. why she needs Knox's help to be like mm-hmm. where's the math of where it would land <laughs> I was gonna tell, say tell me about your water things <laughs> you could coincidentally yeah if you wanted to tie this up nicely with a bow it'd be like well that meteorite just happens to crash into the ruins that we need to go investigate that has a dragon and the dragon right. has definitely hung on to it because it's it's a meteorite and that metal is potentially very precious Am I allowed to retcon what I look like? Because I feel like as I've gotten to know her a little better, the fashion icon just is not fitting. Mm. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I'm still down with her having some like, like you know, tie-dyed purple strands in her, I don't want to say hair because she has hair everywhere, but you know, mm. on top of her head. But I think that instead of a crop top and jeans, she's just wearing a big oversized sweatshirt that has the logo of the company that she's working for on. Mm. And... She definitely still has braces. Interesting. Were the braces introduced into her upbringing culture in the mountains? Or is this like a, she came to civilization. They were like, oh, your teeth do not look good. I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter. I think she got super self-conscious when she, she moved and she started seeing people who all had just, you know, really nice teeth. And she inquired around a little bit. She found a good, good dentist that, you know, could, can work on Yetis uh, and, She's spending the summer getting uh, her chompers aligned, you know? Yeah. Oh, and now that it's summer and she's down from the mountains in this more desert port town, she wouldn't have white fur. She'd probably have like that brown, fur. That yeah. brown darker kind of fur. So. Absolutely. Okay, now that we know what the side quest for each of our characters is going to be, when the heroes come back or the player characters come back and they've successfully completed the mission, what is going to be their reward? The undying admiration of a child. I don't okay. know if that's quite enough. <laughs> I think for Eleonora, being that she runs front of house, I think that there's probably a lifetime discount. Mm, okay. And her parents would be okay with this or she'd have to like uh, keep this from her parents? This is one of those things where I think that, I think especially because she's developed a friendship with Knox, who's very good at math, she mm-hmm. would be able to make an argument that like, sure, yes, we're taking less upfront from these folks, but if we know that they, A, can have are capable of like trans very very smart child when it comes to business (laughs) she's Mm. a little shop herself she's she's a smart kid 
we secure consistent business and we'll make money more money off of them in the long run than just you know like a one-time thing if they know they're going to get a better deal here they are more inclined potentially to uh to just you know pop back every time they need a to refill and then how does nox reward the party for killing a dragon yeah that's a great question. Um, <laughs> Yeti, Yeti fur sweaters. I was literally, I was legitimately going to say that. That I was like, that is not a great reward <laughs> compared to the the endeavor that these poor players embarked on. Are there any things lore wise? I don't know. Is Yeti fur valuable? Is our Yeti teeth valuable? Like, I, you know, not that I'm going to pull out a tooth, but I'm just curious if there's anything written by the book about a Yeti that is valuable. Yeti oil could be used as poison yeti teeth and claws could be sold as trinkets whereas yeti fur was highly valued for its heat retaining characteristics is what it says oh interesting you know what i'm gonna make them a, a yeti fur snowsuit i shed anyway i yeah. shed anyway so yeah you had to shed your entire winter coat in order yeah. to get ready for summer so i've got that all <laughs> sitting in my closet right now i'm not sure what i'm gonna do with it <laughs> just a giant hairball in your closet it's like a second yeti well so i mean a i know suit. that it's valuable yeah, it's, it's a, a very suit. valuable hair suit it's a very valuable hair suit. okay interesting so well yeah i don't know how you'd classify it as common or uncommon but certainly a very unique hair suit for heat retaining probably gives you a resistance or i don't know resistance or immunity to cold damage would you think yeah i think probably you know what for oh i was gonna say for slaying a dragon i'd happily do immunity but resistance does make more sense well because then you could also be one of those things you know where you know uh like goliaths are immune to the adverse effects of being in really really yeah. cold areas also probably immunity to that where you never have to worry about making constitution checks or saving throws yeah to not uh suffer a point of exhaustion from adverse weather that sounds that sounds right. So yeah, you're you're immune to the cold condition, and you don't have to make those cons checks. And then also you have resistance to cold damage. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool suit. All right. So now we figured out what the cool rewards are for these side quests that are being offered, but we have to consider the opposite effect. What's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to the adventure? So they happen to stumble upon this apothecary shop, and they meet both characters who are offering up a two for one special with two different side quests. What's going to be the consequence if they, I don't know. Is there a different consequence if they, they like accept one, but refuse the other, they just refuse them both outright. Or what are you thinking? I mean, I think that the very obvious, at least for mine, uh, is that any kind of piece of this part of the ocean will be ostensibly off limits to them. So if there's any other treasure or any other sort of quests that have to happen in that area, if they don't slay the dragon first, they're not going to be able to essentially like cross that barrier to get to the rest of whatever is down there. Yeah. And then as far as Alanor is concerned with the missing meteorite or the crashed meteorite in the ocean. Um, let's see, I guess refusal. Just I you just have to live with the guilt of knowing that you disappointed a child. Mm hmm. Like just the biggest, saddest, you know, Puss in Boots from like when they do it in Shrek where his eyes get like really big. I think she does that. And if you like said no, it would just be like the saddest, the saddest face. And also it's her villain origin story and she will hunt the party down forever. 
It's true. It does say by the books, typically, that Lamia are considered chaotic evil. So until this point, she didn't really adhere to any one particular kind of alignment, but your refusal now makes her a chaotic evil Lamia. Um, failure, I think, would be met somewhat differently, just like disappointment, but... Mm -hmm. Like, they killed the dragon, but, I don't know, in the course of killing the dragon, something collapsed, and then the meteor got buried, and they were never able to get it or something like that. Yeah. yeah. She, would be, she would just be really, really sad, and maybe there'd be some sort of a roll-off to see if she tried to feed them to her parents. Mm. And then thereby exposing her true nature to Nox, and then setting off the chain of events there between the conflict between Nox and Alinor, then, I suppose. Perhaps. No, I think I think she understands, uh, and she's she's not stupid. I think that she understands that like this is a cover that cannot be blown. I think she would just be really bummed. She'd be really hurt, not by them, right? Obviously, it's not personal, but just you know, it's a it's a kid who really was hoping for this thing that they spent a lot of time and effort tracking. And I think she'd just be she'd be really bummed, mm -hmm. not mad, just disappointed. Oh, that's a dad line for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm practicing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, well, now that we've learned so much more about Knox and Alanora, I think it's time we head into a segment that I like to call The Random Encounter. This Random Encounter is brought to you by Fill in the Blank. Wait a minute, what? Is that is that correct? Is that right here? Well, yeah, sort of, actually. Um, so unfortunately, with the passing of Ed over at reaper miniatures for the time being the sponsorship program with reaper miniatures is being put on hiatus which is fine they said that my link would still work if you want to use it on my older episodes but otherwise um, it won't do anything else special still i want to encourage you all to support reaper miniatures show them your love and support in their time of need so what does this mean for this particular ad break section of the show before we get to do a little role-playing vignette, well, I guess that means if you out there in the Levitating Platter have something you'd like to plug and you've got an affiliate program or an advertising budget which you have some money to use to pay me with, well, then I'm happy to take a look at your proposals and see what kind of partnership we can form. As you know, this podcast is a labor of love and thanks to some very awesome and very kind patrons, I can continue to keep the ever-burning torches on as well as have a normal social life away from the podcast without it consuming my every waking hour. I'm very blessed and very thankful. I would prefer if you email me details of your projects and Kickstarters and whatever else at my email address, sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. I know you can reach me on various social media platforms, which you can give me the basic details there. However, I will ask you, please send me an email because I won't agree to do anything unless it's ethereally emailed to me and we're conducting a correspondence in that manner. So again, with all of that out of the way, I hope to hear from some rich noblewoman or eccentric lord soon. Now, on with the show. All right, so random encounter segment is where we like to do a little role play, a little vignette, and kind of get an idea of these characters. So the question becomes, what kind of scene are we interested in doing today? Is it going to be Knox and Alanora meeting one of the podcast player characters? Is it going to be just Knox and Alanora having their own scene themselves and like discussing the meteorite that's crashed and stuff like that? the exposition NPC background dialogue that goes on before the player characters walk into the shop or something else like with the parents involved there or something. I don't know. What what kind of scene interests you? What are you feeling, Benjamin? Can I roll for this one? No. <laughs> uh, 
That is a good question. I know this is probably the single least helpful answer I could give, and Katie is already making a face. Uh, I am up for anything. Well, I mean, if it helps, I can name off some of the podcast player characters to, you know, see if you, that interests y'all. So we have Duncan, who's the recklessly brave adventurer for Hyrie's happy-go-lucky. We've got Sonya, the warrior woman, who is a started off as a barbarian, multiclassed into paladin, serving the god that redeems the undead. We have Korak, the lawful evil arcane trickster roguish dwarf. We've got Chrisley, who's the herbalist botanist wood elf druid, who became a cleric of the living memory. And then the final character we introduced, Orion, who is the astral elf illusionist wizard. I know which one of these characters Alanora is definitely interested in meeting, and it is it is our astral elf because you know. Mm. However, Katie, do you have do you have anything that you would like to to say? I was gonna say I want to meet the druid, but I'm also happy to meet the elf. Well, technically, the druid and the wizard are both elven characters, so it's just a matter of well, do you want to meet a wizard or do you want to meet a druid? Either one, and I'm very happy. You want to meet you want to meet the the wizard, so let's meet the wizard. Yeah, it's me, the wizard. Where we last left our hero, Orion, I believe that he was with Moon Moon, the Gloomstalker fairy, had come across her need to help find likewise a crashed meteor in order to help stabilize her lycanthropy powers um, so she had more control going through this area that had a natural portal to the Shadowfell nearby. Um, so it's some time that Orion has spent a long time in the material plane, far away from the astral sea and wild space and all that sort of stuff, that he finds himself emerging out of these wooded areas with portals to the Shadowfell and whatnot. He finds himself now kind of on this desert coastal area. And uh, it's not long before he's walking down along the avenues and minding the stores um, that he then sees a familiar signage that seems to indicate like oh this is an apothecary and so he checks his supplies and he's like ah well i am starting to get low on quite a number of things not having it so readily available as i once had back uh with my crew on the ship so he will open the door into the apothecary shop and upon entering what does he see he sees a neatly organized uh, shop with a, you know, a selection of sort of like pre-made uh, potions that are all behind the desk, uh, um, as or the counter, I should say, as well as um, a lot of raw materials, you know, sort of like various leaves and berries and whatnot that you might need for whatever your herbalist heart might desire. And uh, sitting sort of in a direct, definitely like in the like the sunlight that is coming through one of the windows, and certainly she moves with it as it moves across the countertop. Is the little Eleonora sort of sitting there, her with one ear sort of like twitched towards the door as it as it opens, um, but she's not necessarily looking at him immediately. Yeah, and, and she I does appear that... as a humanoid. She does appear. So, oh, I yeah, tw ear twitched. I guess like you know she like twitches a little bit <laughs> as she can. You know, her, I can wiggle my ears. She wiggles her ears. There we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think sort of hunched over the counter, looking at a bunch of different vials uh, of probably honestly a variety of potions uh, is a very large hulking Yeti who, despite being very big, 
somewhat unassuming, which feels very counterintuitive, but it's just, you know, you walk into the room and you're like, I'm not scared of her at all. Um, and, <laughs> and she's kind of, you know, she's looking at it about, she's like, oh, wow, uh, this is really cool. Is, is this Virgo at this one? Is, is that what we got here? That's Pisces. You should oh. know that already. We've talked about this a lot. Oh, wow. We have the same voice. That's the problem. <laughs> Why do you sound like a seven-year-old? Well, I, I was just thinking I kind of have that like nasally teenager thing going on. But uh, yeah, now we do sound very, very similar. And then Orion will just kind of like coolly walk in and kind of appraise the situation very calmly. Just be like, um, hello, I hope that I'm not intruding. Um, are you open for business? <clears throat> taking on a new voice because we can't sound the same oh, hi, hi, hiya mister yeah we're open for business uh what do you need oh and so then orion will very quickly pull out like a long list and it's like oh. all these different kinds of spell components and he's like i require hmm. these materials i have spent some time here in the prime material plane and uh, a lot of my resources have uh, been exhausted and so if you he will reach into a coin pouch that he has on his side and he pulls out like coinage uh but it looks like very otherworldly astral sea equivalent you know so it's still like gold and stuff like that but it maybe has a different sheen or some kind of interesting intrinsic quality about it mixed with like some other common coinage from this area and so he's like i have this for payment so if you can find these materials that would be most appreciated and he'll like look over and see the large Yeti, not phased, not intimidated in the slightest. Well, Nori's the best. She's going to get you everything you need. It's out, Nora. Uh, uh, can I, can I look at this coin? She, uh, she wants to pick up one of the, like, unfamiliar ones. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he'll be like, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Where, where is this from? Where are you from? You said you've spent time on the Primaterial plane? Yes, and you look closer at Orion, and you can see his eyes. Like, normal elves, I guess, you know, sometimes they don't have eyes, or they have, like, different colorations or whatever going on. But you look in his eyes, and it's almost like he has, like, swirling galaxies or constellations within his own eyes as he's looking at you. And he's like, uh, well, I'm from the Astral Sea. I was, um, he's like, not to bore you with too many details, but I was on a ship in the wild space, and we, we hit a storm. We hit some sort of astral dreadnought i i don't know it was all a blur and then i woke up and well i'm here in the prime material plane haven't quite found a way to get back but not also too eager to get back there as well i think as soon as she notices the galaxies like in his eyes i think alanora has completely lost track of the fact that they're supposed to be like conducting a business transaction and her jaw just like fully drops and she she's just like standing there like open mouthed for an uncomfortably long time I think uh, at a certain point, uh, Knox just like. <laughs> <clears throat> Orion would probably say something because, you know, he's still a little alien in a way. He's just, hmm, the people here are definitely a lot more odd than they are back home for sure. He kind of regards himself as kind of like this Spock Vulcan-esque sort of a character. So he's just like, he's always analytical and he's like trying to analyze people and just being like fascinating kind of a attitude when he's like encountering people that are just acting very strange around him hey uh mister he turns to look are you a? are you an adventurer hmm he smiles from the corner of his mouth 
and he'll stick his hands out and then he starts projecting like an image of a of a solar system in his hands and he's like starts moving his hands around to make planets and the asteroids and the other uh, celestial bodies move and he says yeah you might consider me someone of that nature you're thank no god because because i'm going to lose my job if uh if someone doesn't go into the ocean and and get rid of the big sea dragon real soon. And I really don't want to go home. I'm having a great time. Plus, also, I need another three months before I can get these off. And she points at the braces. And she's like, and if I go home, then I'm just going to have braces for the rest of my life. And that sounds horrible. She can't eat apples currently. Mm. Do you, or do you popcorn. See? Or bubblegum. Or carrots. That's a weird one. Do you Did you see the meteorite the other day? He'll roll a uh, history check and uh, herb nature check, I guess. And he, he does like, okay. And he's like, oh, yes, yes. I did see something in the sky earlier, but I didn't really pay much mind to it before. Well, okay. Uh, hold on one second. And she's uh, going to run upstairs to her to her room and come down with like a bunch of charts. So I was tracking it for kind of a while and I figured out with her help. Uh, I'm very, very, very good at that. Uh, where it landed? It seems like it's probably in the vicinity of uh, the dragon thing. But you're from the stars. Yes. You... Oh, I really, I really love the stars. Um, would you get them? Would you bring a meteorite back? Hmm. Well, I'll help with the with your your. You think about it, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna grab the list and start running around frantically trying to find all the things that that is on the list. He'll turn and just say, "I think this is where the uh, the phrase two birds with one stone would come to play.' I suppose. So kill a dragon and get a meteorite, eh? Hmm. That would be so great. I'd be. Oh my god, I'd be so happy. He'll nod and then he'll just smile very small, but he'll say. Sure. Why not? I haven't tangled with a dragon yet, so better add that to my repertoire. It's really big, though. I just I just want to let you know now so you're not surprised when you get there. All right. And so then he will work to get the details from Knox, and uh, he will work to get uh, whatever supplies he needs, and then he will set forth into the ocean to do battle with the beast. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Definitely, Eleonora absolutely like has like maps drawn and like has plotted all of the stuff. So she sends him out well equipped. And scene. All right. So now we've had the random encounter where we've gotten to know uh, Knox and Eleonora. So what did you think of the experience of getting to be both of these characters? Gotta love them. I would be lying if I said that I didn't want to somehow work Eleonora into... What about Knox? Well, that's your character. I, I don't want to presume. I, I'd, like, <laughs> I'd like to meet Knox. Oh, I mean, I would love to put the two of them. <laughs> like, I think that the potential friendship between this like giant yeti and this small child is... is giant too... yeti nerd. <laughs> yes. And and tiny astronomer is like too cute to pass up on. I, I fully plan on... Uh, and incorporating them at some point in the future into a, a campaign or a one-shot. Yeah, that's what we like to hear, is that just, you know, some seemingly wholesome pair of characters somehow find their way into a game somewhere at someone's table. Yeah, yeah. Also, 
Nori's parents could be some very cool potential big bads. Just just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if they're like these uh, Lamian nobles or something like that, that uh, apparently were prone to outbursts of senseless violence. So if that has to feed into their oh. ruthless uh, business oh nature or something like that, that becomes another side quest or just a background plot thing going in in this town. They're like, all these people are ending up dead and stuff like that. And there's, you know, some real shady underhanded business going on. And so the players are chasing a red herring, think it's like the thieves guild, but then they're like, it's not us. We're not the ones doing the killing. It's something else much more monstrous. And then they uncover the, Oh, there's a whole family of Lamias that have been operating in this city. I love it. I love it. We've got a whole, we've got lore for an entire town now. (laughs) I do, wonder, I do wonder. I do wonder if if Eleonora isn't aware, like is yeah, like truly in the dark about her parents, which could also be like a fun moment for a DM to be like, I'm gonna pull on all of your heartstrings now. Here's this child who's learning that her parents are terrible. Yeah, I think she's just like a, a cute, just a cute little kid who uh, is running the family business. I don't think she knows. Ooh. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's in the dark. Okay. Which is where she likes to be because she likes the stars, anyways. There we go. Bringing it, making it wholesome. Bam. Wholesome for the kids. We love that. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah. So we're starting to get into the final thoughts segment of the show. So I always like to check in with the guests. Certainly you've been very patient and accommodating with me, but yeah. What did you think of your experience here on the podcast today? It was so much fun. Absolutely. (laughs) I want to create all of my NPCs this way. It's a really cool (laughs) way of approaching NPC creation because Especially, I feel like the way that my brain works, and I think the way that your brain works, is I like to, like, I, I'm actively working to find the through line that ties everything together. So when you randomize that aggressively, it's it's kind of a, a mental exercise to be like, okay, so I have all these things. Now, what is a logical way that these things could actually go together? Mm-hmm. And that's fun. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a little bit freeing in a way, because yeah. then you're not like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm imposter syndrome. And it's like, no, it's just roll them on dice. And then like, here's this person that exists in the world. Like you breathe a human or maybe not necessarily human life, but you breathe a humanity into the character. And now they have like a history a voice, a presence, you know, a soul, if you will, in them. And so now you get to bring them to your player characters around the table. And then they're like, whoa, I've never, a Yeti that's a deep sea archaeologist. <laughs> I have never in my wildest dreams of it would have ever thought of this. With braces. Don't forget the braces. The braces. <laughs> braces are important. Yeah, this podcast, we like to inspire people to be able to make cool NPCs, whether they take them whole cloth from us, maybe they tweak some things with the characters from our show, or it just inspires them to uh, decide to make their own random tables. So I can't copyright or trademark these random tables I have, um, but you're certainly more than welcome to, you know, uh, kind of borrow the format. And if you decide for your live stream, maybe that's a segment that you do. You're just like, hey, we're going to do a stream and we're just going to roll some dice and we're going to discover who this NPC is. And then we're going to figure out where they would end up in the world or something. That might be a fun community thing you could do or something. I see the yeah. wheels in Ben's head turning right now. Yeah. He loves that idea. <laughs> I, I am all about making NPCs that are also totally viable PCs. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it, as a DM, it makes it, it, it allows me to like inhabit them and, and feel like I know the character. And I think, you know, like to what Katie said, right? Having those pieces randomized does make it a little bit more interesting because it's like, 
you know, when I come up with these things, it's going to have, there's going to be a clear through line from like, okay, why do X, Y, and Z things happen? And why are they like this, et cetera? But having it be more random, I think, you know, gives them a, a different, it gives it a different personality to it. And I, I like that a lot. I will I'll definitely be doing that. Excellent. You have inspired me. So at least, at least in one case, absolute as success. long as i get a kickback somehow with like some sort of like hey i got this great idea from being on this particular podcast oh, you should sure. listen to them support them on patreon and leave apple podcast reviews or whatever only good ones though yes i mean yeah. i'll take the bad ones you know you got to take the good with the bad you know the, that's the, fair the rain and the sun shine on the good and the bad alike as, they, as the good book says so um yeah as we're getting here into the very final final moments of the podcast we always like to leave the stage, the microphone, the soapbox, the platform to the guests. So anything you've got to plug, where can we find you online if you want to be found online, that kind of thing, and uh, any passions or causes that we should know about? Oh, man. Um, okay, so I am at Katie Mara, uh, K-A-T-I-E-M-E-H-E-R-A. The H is silent. Don't ask me why my parents did that. It's fine. Um, on all social media and also Ben and I and many other people stream probably too often on uh, twitch.tv slash amateur-ish productions. Our main campaign is every Tuesday, now at 7 p.m. It used to be at 9 p.m. That is changing. And the schedule changes weekly. That is kind of the only thing that is set in stone. So that, that gets posted on Twitter every week usually gets updated on Twitch, but Twitter is definitely the source of truth for what on earth is going to be going on over on Amateurish for that given week. And I am uh, at Ben underscore M underscore squared uh, on Twitter and Instagram, Instagram, although I don't really use Instagram. Don't follow me there. It's it's such a like my presence on Instagram is so painfully millennial. It's it, it'll just it'll just hurt people. And Katie covered everything else because she's a champ and and keeps my head from falling off my shoulders i feel like i need to advocate for cause because you specifically said any oh causes. i definitely <laughs> i definitely have a cause actually now that i'm thinking about it okay with the full disclosure that it is a nonprofit run by my mother there's a nonprofit called haven's harvest they do food rescue in the greater new haven area here in connecticut which is where uh, i am from originally mm. uh and she moves like millions of pounds a year taking food from restaurants and university kitchens and grocery stores that would otherwise be thrown away and brings them to community centers to ensure that one it's not being wasted and it also simultaneously uh, address you know the massive issue of food insecurity in this country and particularly the availability of like high quality food to folks who might not have the means and they can be found at havensharvest.org. And they, they do excellent work on less than a shoestring budget. I'll just echo that. I don't, I, I think that Havens Harvest is super important. I don't need to bring another cause into it. The, go check them out. They are wonderful. Ben's mother works way too much uh, and does just incredible things for the community here. So I also go, go support them. Well, hey, between that and Travis Frederick's Blocking Hunger organization that helps to fight childhood hunger here in the DFW area, you know, I'm I'm all for ending hunger because everyone's hearts and bellies should be full. Yes, absolutely. Could not agree more. All right. Well, Ben and Katie, Katie and Ben, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy evening to be a pair of guests on my humble podcast. And Hope to have you back on in the future to make even more Absolutely. randomized characters. Would love to. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank this you so much. It's been a blast. Much.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, or you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. And finally, after two years, I've decided to open a Patreon for Sidekicks and Sidequests. If you love this podcast and you want to help us grow and expand our operations, I would appreciate it if you would go on over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Your name on the wall of the levitating platter, a loud hurrah on the podcast, or the possibility to introduce an element of chance to NPC creation. Psychics and Psychos is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, five.